If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. He's got it! Touchdown, Jack Doyle! And he's going to be brought down inside the 15, and it's going to go to DeForest Buckner. Huge hole! He's at the 30! He's going to go! 10-5! Touchdown, Jonathan Taylor! From the Power Home Solar Studio, let's get the podcast started. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Colts official podcast Presented by our friends at WinBet, proud sportsbook partner of the Indianapolis Colts. Betting is a team sport. Bet together at WinBet. Courtesy of WinBet, later on in the show, the sack master, the quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, will join us to talk about the elation going on in Indianapolis. This football team's been on a good run. And also who Robert likes, uh, some gambling action going on with the great sack master. But that's later on in the show. Let's open this up. As always, the captain of the ship, she keeps it afloat. Thank (laughs) Thank you for being here. You make me look good week in and week out, Miss Lara Overton. Oh, Jeffrey, that's the easy part, making you look good. Come on. Well, it's just mostly reminding you to record the show. That's right. Stank bomb number one for the podcast. From the rafters right there, that's J.J. Stankovich. You can follow him on uh, Colts.com, Twitter. It's a great everywhere across the board. If you want your latest Colts action, follow these two, at Lara Overton, at J.J. Stankovich. I'm at Hey Gorman, and I am elated because I'm going to start this latest blank blanket statement out today and let you guys chew and dissect it. I was nervous uh, before that kickoff against the Patriots because of one man. Not so much the way Mac Jones is playing, not so much as how their defense has stepped up, but one man, and that is Bill Belichick, and he was playing catch-up all evening long. Jeffrey, do you remember on last week's podcast when I said we aren't giving Frank Reich enough credit for what he can do schematically against Bill Belichick. Oh, everyone assumes we're going to take away the run. You know what Frank Reich did? And I love that Frank kind of, he spiked his own football a little bit toward the end of his press conference. He went toe-to-toe with Bill Belichick and won. Jonathan Taylor ran into heavy boxes, eight or more men in the box, on 19 of his 29 carries, gained 170 yards. The Patriots had nine men in the box on the 67-yard touchdown. The Colts blocked it up perfectly. Quentin Nelson, Danny Pinter, great communication. Kylan Granson sealed the edge. Eric Fisher dominated his guy. And then JT, the thing the Colts love about Jonathan Taylor is that when you stack the box against him and they block it upright, it leaves him one-on-one with the defender. Jonathan Taylor made Donta Hightower one of the best run-defending linebackers in the NFL miss. But the biggest thing, Jeffrey, is that Frank Reich went head-to-head with Matt with uh, Bill Belichick and won. Matt Eberflus went head-to-head with the guy who brought him here. That's right. Josh McDaniels. Great hire, and McDaniels. Won. Bubba Ventrone Oof. went head-to-head with the guy who got he got his coaching start from in Bill Belichick on special teams and won. The Colts, across the board, coaching-wise, won this game. And I said it last week, I, I'm going to spike my own football, that we weren't giving the, Colt, the Colts coaching staff enough credit. Mm-hmm. Let's give them the credit now that they deserve. Let's give Lara Overton credit because a couple of six-rounders that she's been chirping about mm-hmm. for months upon months upon months are play, paying dividends for this football team. And, of course, I'm talking about Danny Pinner. Great job filling in for Ryan Kelly and Lara Isaiah Rogers. Back-to-back starts for Danny Pinter. I think that really benefited Danny that he got the start down in Houston in that shutout 
out prior to the buy, had the bye week, and then was immediately able to build off of that. That was significant because one of the things I talked with Frank Reich about prior to kickoff was how imperative the communication would be between Carson, Danny, Frank and Marcus Brady because of how the Patriots defense really likes to confuse things and mix things up and disguise things defensively that this offense had to go in with a game plan and then know how to adapt for what they were seeing or what they weren't seeing and huge credit to to Danny Isaiah Rogers was another late round guy Mm -hmm. that I put attention on and he had a a few great plays. I did a show last week, actually, guys, um, with the NBC Sports Boston crew. And they oh, asked Phil, Peller, me, Phil Perry and uh, Tom Curran. Yeah. Um, and they were asking me, it was two different guys. It wasn't those guys, different, different crew. Uh, it was like a shorter segment, um, but it was just like a five minute deal. But it was quick hitter questions. And one of the questions was, who is an offense? So now I'm patting my own back. So we're all patting our own backs yeah. here. So Come they on, said, do it. Who is an offensive player not named Jonathan Taylor that Patriots fans should be aware of? And I said, Naheem Hines. Mm-hmm. All right. That came to fruition in the first quarter, so I was like, okay. And then they said, who is a a guy, who's a defensive player not named Darius Leonard that Patriots fans should be aware of? And I said, Kenny Moore II. Wow, look at her. Kenny Moore II, six tackles, one tackle for loss, two passes defense. So I was like, I was feeling pretty good about being able to kind of wrap my mind around what the game plan might be and who the critical players could be because you knew the emphasis was going to be on attempting to contain JT as best they could. You knew that D-line was going to put a heavy emphasis on trying to get to an end effect. Matt Jones, of Mm -hmm. course. So those were a couple of guys who I pinpointed. And now the thing is, don't let your foot on the gas. You have to come with that same level of intensity each and every week, the remainder of the regular season, if you're going to put yourself in position to make a playoff run. So that's the thing, too. You come off of these big wins sometimes, and you set yourselves up for a letdown because there was a ton of emotion into this game. They had the whole bye week where they used to kind of get a head start. Mm-hmm. Now you got to go into Arizona with that same level of intensity. No, it's not an AFC game, any of those things, but this is still a win that matters significantly, a game that could matter significantly when you're talking about this fourth quarter stretch of the season with as tightly packed as the AFC The special is. teams touchdown, obviously the huge cushion. We needed EJ that thing. Speed. I mean, obviously that was so huge because, again, you're playing with that cushion. But my question to both of you are right now is Carson was a factor. I mean, he was a factor. Mm-hmm. He was a factor. He's a quarterback, for gosh sakes. But uh, for lack of a better term, we didn't need him that much. You know what I'm well, saying? And that philosophy is my question coming, JJ. Yeah. That philosophy, does that work against Arizona? Does that work against the Raiders? Does that work against Jacksonville where they say, hey, we've got the best runner in the league. He's wearing 28. Stop him and everything else falls behind that. Well, he, here's where I think it matters. It matters against those those teams, certainly. It's going to matter in the playoffs. When it, it's a completely different ball game, you can throw out everything you've done in the regular season because teams are going to attack you differently. Mm-hmm. What the Colts have done a really good job of, though, with their run game is being multiple and how they are able to run the football. So they have this inventory of plays and concepts they can go to when teams are stacking the box, when teams are throwing blitzers at you know uh, the, the interior in the A-gap and stuff like that. They have all these plays. That's really important. The thing about Carson Wentz, Frank Reich still has an immense amount of trust in him. But the thing that Carson does really well, and I was thinking about this watching the Browns-Raiders game yesterday, was if you took Carson out of this offense, people might say, I only threw for 57 yards. Does it really matter? What Carson did a couple times, I think, and I want to 
try to ask Frank about this is I think he checks some runs to different sides. Like mm-hmm. Carson is able to read the defense and say, this is where New England's focus is going to be. Right. Let's get Jonathan in this run concept, in this different run play, because Carson understands the run game. He understands how to read defenses. Just those little things, those little things are so difficult for any old quarterback to step in and do well, which is, I think, you know, Cleveland's got a great run offense with a quarterback who hadn't played really at all this year, Nick Mullins, for them stepping in. They struggled, especially in the first half. I think what Carson's able to do in getting the Colts into the right run plays, and that's something Frank has mentioned a couple times this year, that's a sneaky little thing that he does well that you should not discount even when you're looking at his passing stats. Okay, speaking of sneaky, there were two things that stood out to me. One, the fourth down conversion rate, what you were able to do with Ooh. Carson Wentz, those quarterback sneaks, three for three? Three for three. Alara, I mean, that, I, added, that added almost to his, to his lead, almost right? almost 12 minutes of time of possession. See, like on those plays. And Ooh. I asked Frank this week for Colts 360 about not only like the physicality that you have to have as a quarterback cuz not every quarterback is built to do that, mm-hmm. right? But then also the confidence factor that you have to have and he said that Carson loves those types of situations. I mean because of the offensive line I, that can he I, has. Can I throw in a, a quick stank bomb here? Oh, yeah, right. Here it is. Wait since for two it. Th- since 2017 Carson Wentz leads the NFL in fourth and one conversions with 21. The next highest total is Ezekiel Elliott with 15. I see what Frank's doing, Lara. Wow. My gosh, he's got like the biggest it. horse there, in the barn. There, right. there, is, mean, there is a knack that well, Carson we, has to it. Well, we knew he had this tendency. We saw it with Jacoby Brissett. Well illustrated, right? So he's a gambler. That, Jacoby's I, lo- I love it. And then the other thing to me was the creativity and the play calling. Not only in the uh, revamped Philly, now call it the <laughs> indie special, in which JT was lead blocker for Naheem Hines on a touchdown, but... Ashton Doolin and the use of that yes. play. I mean, that was a, I'm looking at my notes, 37-yard rush. It was an end around. Mm-hmm. The creativity of the play calling is something that I was loving in that game. I thought that it was a really well-executed plan from Frank Reich and Coach Brady and from Carson Wentz. And, and that Doolin run, by the way, that also came with eight men in the box. So you're trying to lighten things up for Jonathan Taylor. You get Doolin on that, one of the fastest guys on the field. Track guy, Lara. Track guy, D2, All-American, conference record holder in like four different events. So, you guys, envision this really quickly before we get to Josh Weinfuss of ESPN NFL Nation covering the Arizona Cardinals. I asked Ashton Doolin, if you had to line up a 4 by 100 relay against the running backs, who would your... Who would the lineup be? Let me have it. So for the running backs, of course, you have JT and Naheem, who each ran college track. JT at Wisconsin. Naheem was a conference champion at NC State. And then you would have Marlon Mack, and you would have Deion Jackson. For the wide receivers, it was T.Y. on leadoff. Mm -hmm. It was Zach Paschal, Ashton Doolin, and... DeMichael Harris. Oh, DeMichael Harris can yeah. burn. There can we get go. that going off season? That's what I said. Off season. Let's get that said, going. I also said if we could combine the linemen, like take take your pick, O-line, D-line of anybody, I'm taking Grover Stewart and Quentin Nelson. <laughs> oh my God, can we please my, get that race? My, <laughs> as my lead and anchor, put whoever else you want in the middle, but Grover and Quentin in terms of the fastest linemen that I could think of, I'm going I'm to... For, forget it. I, I, You know, the running back wide receiver race, that's great. I want to see Grover race <laughs> Quentin. That's so <laughs> badly. Who do we have in that? 
Right. So Quentin, who's it, early at favorite. NFL Next Gen Quentin. stats, they tracked Q at like 15 miles an hour against Houston. Yeah. And by the way, you're he of, was trucking DBs. Like he was so <laughs> he was so far back. And speaking of which, we haven't even talked about JT's 67 yard run that pretty much iced everything. But did you see the wheels on Doolin to catch up to that running back? Hey, and who? Oh was, yeah. You know, I mean, he was moving. So. Lara, I think you probably noticed this too on the sidelines, but JT, he's looking back. Yeah, because <laughs> he he, he, was he church mode. They church were calling, mode. They were calling to go down. He he slowed up because he was going to go down, which they you know was kind of the intuition right, of okay, we've right. got keep the, the play. clock running, keep yep. the clock keep running, the and then he's like, I'm just going to go for it. And well, sorry, Lenny Moore. He he looked back to the sideline, being like, Is anyone going to tell me to go down? Nope. Well, and then you know what he did? He took off and he ran faster than any listen, player in the NFL has ran this year. To literally, what JJ Stankovich just said this running back looked to his sideline. While in a full Over sprint, his left shoulder. waiting yep. for someone to say "go down, go down," or he got nothing, so he turned the Jets. It, it's on. like it's like in baseball when you're stealing second Bro. base, they tell you don't look back at the catcher because yes. it slows you down. JT looked back at the sideline and still was sprinting. and still ran. Like oh NFL gosh. next gen stats. Literally, he ran faster than anyone has ran in the NFL this year. Such a great win. Lara, such Any a, ball carrier, yeah. right? Any ball, ball carrier. carrier. Such, Sorry. Such yes. a great win. You brought up Frank Reich, JJ, earlier and stuff. Such a great win for this organization because, you know, all eyes were on us, the only show in town, and took it to the evil empire because those those bloodlines still run deep here, JJ. You weren't here. Lara, you weren't here way back in the sevens and sixes and fives when these L- teams listen, were going listen, out. Listen, listen, Jeffrey. You around. feel it. It's uh, still, yeah, you're yeah. in Indianapolis. My, my, my wife, Betsy, she's she's been here. She she cannot stand Willie McGinnis. If I just yeah. want to piss her off, I will bring up Willie McGinnis, right. and she'll be like, he faked an injury. Ah, like, She's not alone, JJ. Yeah. Man, listen, let's applaud Matt Eberflus on this. This is an offense, the New England oh, Patriots, yeah. that was averaging over 30 points a game for the last the five Colts weeks. The defense did not allow a score for seven straight quarters. How about that? Four quarters in Houston, three quarters mm-hmm. at home. Against the New England Patriots, they did not put points on the board until the early seconds of the fourth quarter. That is impressive. I mean, like, Darius, we put that video out of him mic'd up where he's like, the mentality is they don't get past the 50. Yeah. I mean, like, they were... And then when they got past the 50, Darius picked off the pass. I mean, like, this defense, they are... And for a stiff arm. Oh, my God. Kendrick. Jacoby Myers, excuse me. Jacoby Myers, demoralizing. I think think when I was looking at the TV in here, I think uh, our our friend Kyle Brandt had that up on Angry Runs. Absolutely. Uh, He lost, though, Frank joked that uh, when I was talking with him, Frank joked that uh, maybe – Darius should give some tutorials to the running backs on the stiff arm. I was no it's so it, it looked like you know how like Derrick Henry had that drill where he was like planting guys yes, in the turf. Yes. Like that's, it looked like he looked like Derrick Henry out there. Was, I mean, and you know what? More takeaways are to come for these guys because that is what this Colts thirty-one leads the NFL absolutely. But they do have an offensive powerhouse awaiting in the desert on Christmas. Ho ho ho! Kyler Murray and the Cardinals uh, not playing great right now. Go to ESPN if you want to find out more and. Read about Josh Weinfuss. Excuse me. Read about the Cardinals from Josh Weinfuss, who joins us now. He covers this Arizona team. And the article that you came out with a couple of days ago, I, I guess that's my first question to you, Josh. Thanks for being here. But why are the Arizona Cardinals playing their worst football of the year? If I had that answer, I would be driving to Vegas right now with <laughs> a lot of money. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's interesting because this has happened the last two seasons under Cliff Kingsbury. They seem to start really, really hot and then reach a point and it's kind of like a peak and then they just start a decline. They're uh, three and four in their last seven after starting seven and oh. Um, you know, but during that stretch, they didn't have Kyler Murray 
and DeAndre Hopkins for three games. They went two and one. They didn't have DeAndre Hopkins last week in Detroit, and they got absolutely demolished. So I don't know. I mean, it's a combination of maybe they're getting a little too comfortable. Teams could be figuring them out because this is kind of the point of the season where there's plenty of tape. And, you know, an offense like Cliff Kingsbury's, it's it's creative, but, you know, the, the base of it, the root of it, it's pretty well known at this point. So uh, I think this is a combination of that play calling, play decision, you know, the decision making by both Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. Um, maybe guys are getting tired. I mean, it's it could be a combination of everything, but there's no there's no hard, you know, reason, tried and true reason why they are having this kind of um decline um but you know for their sake they they need to figure it out quickly because they went from the number one overall seed in the nfc um in the conference and now all of a sudden they're sitting at fourth if they lose a game or two more they're out of the division lead in the nfc west they're they're looking you know at at a road game in the wild card where they could have been at home it's just kind of it's turning into a massive mess for this organization right now Josh, I got to talk about the New Albany, Indiana boy. You know I was going to go there. I'm a homer. Mm-hmm. New Albany, Indiana is my hometown. Obviously, the hometown also of Rondale Moore. He was actually in my mom's class, took my mom's class when he was a Bulldog prior to transferring to Trinity High School. You would think with DeAndre Hopkins out for multiple games with the injury, a lot of people felt like Rondale would take a bulk of the receptions, would be more of a focal point. How can you kind of explain the utilization of late of Rondale Moore being you know, this dynamic weapon that he has proven to be? Yeah, so first off, he went to Purdue, so I don't really like talking about him. Uh, <laughs> you guys. But I guess for the sake of this conversation, I will chat about Rondell Moore. No, I'm just kidding. Um, he, he, he's not exactly – I mean, he's still a rookie, right? And now he's still, you know, figuring out his way right. through the NFL. So that's, that's, that's part of it. I think the other part of it is he's not exactly like a wide receiver one or wide receiver two at this moment. He's, he's small. But he's super fast. And, and the thing that he has going for him is that, yes, he's small. Yes, he's super fast. But he's he's strong, right? He's muscular. He's thick. So he can take some of these hits that some of these other smaller, faster guys who are pretty skinny, they can't take. And that's helped him a lot so far. He got hurt in Detroit. He had an, He's having an MRI this week on his ankle. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. But, you know, I, I, he's Cliff, he's the type of guy that Cliff Kingsbury loves to use kind of on these jet sweeps, um, kind of taking the ball out of the backfield on on screens, on short passes where then he can make something happen with his feet. Sure, can he go long? Absolutely. But they have other guys who can do that. They have Christian Kirk. They have A.J. Green. They had DeAndre Hopkins, who's obviously up, out for the rest of the season with a knee injury. So his his role just isn't as that type of, of high – um, production type of receiver, right? He's, he's a guy who will make plays happen because he's so fast and so quick and can be so elusive. So they'll still find that those plays for him. Um, but it just won't be, we're not going to see those numbers of, a, you know, a wide receiver one, wide receiver two, but we will see those numbers increase a little bit because there's no DeAndre Hopkins. So I hope that answers your question. But he's, he's not exactly that type of guy who's going to be, at least right now in his, in, in his, at this point in his career, going to be that guy who's going to get all sorts of, of attention from, you know, within the offense he's going to get you know he gets his his packages he gets his plays and he's hard to game plan for because you know he could take a, a screen pass and go 80 yards for a touchdown or he could make a cornerback work for it every you know every every step in a foot race down the sideline for a deep pass so he's kind of one of these guys who could do a little bit of everything in that regard so full transparency here since you brought up you know the 
Uh, I don't want to say hatred of Purdue, but, you know, the dislike (laughs) of Purdue. So Josh and I go back to our days at Indiana University. So we went to undergrad Mm -hmm. together. And then when Josh was in grad school here in Indianapolis, uh, we were in that program together and everything. So Josh and I have known each other for many, many years. So at some point in this conversation, I guarantee that, you know, the conversations of Bloomington and Nix and Assembly Hall and Kilroy's will probably come full circle in this. But for now, I know J.J. Stankovitz has uh, has more football related questions. I do. I, listen, I've I am a neutral when it comes to IU and Purdue, but I think I've been swayed toward. Well, no, actually, I haven't been because I. Uh, never mind. Long story. I'm a neutral when it comes to those two teams. But I want to ask you, Josh. So I, I, when I was reading your article after the Lions game, which the Cardinals lost thirty to twelve, Kyler Murray said, "Quote: Obviously, we didn't come prepared at all. They played hard. It was a physical game. I wish we knew it was going to be." So. What did you make of of that? Did were the Cardinals not ready for a physical game? Are they a team that is not built for a physical game? What did you make of how the Cardinals digested that loss? First off, that, the fact that he said that kind of I sat there a little bit in shock. Like, uh-huh. what quarterback is going to admit that their team wasn't ready physically? for an NFL football game. Like, I was very surprised that he said that. But I think it shows more of Kyler Murray's maturity, right? He wouldn't have said this in his first two years. I think he's starting to understand his role as the face of this franchise, as the quarterback of the team, as an MVP candidate, former rookie of the year. So he kind of understands that what power, what sway he has with his words. Um, and that's great for us you know, in the media because he's now more open and more free to say things where he, he, he didn't feel like he was first couple of years. Now, the second part of that is – were they ready physically? Obviously not, right? If he's coming out and saying that, I mean, they got punched in the mouth early, and they just got absolutely trampled over by a Lions team that had one win and the first overall pick coming into into last weekend. Um, were they looking past them? Possibly. I mean, this is a type of year. It's a weird type of year. You know, it's the holidays. Christmas is coming up for these guys. They know they have a short week, but then they also know they have a, you know the Sunday off. This is a lot of things that were happening. They're coming off of a of a, of a bad win against um, the Rams on Monday Night Football. Everyone was watching. That was their chance to kind of go out and kind of show, kind of you know, quiet the hate because the, the, the narrative around this team all season has been, yeah, they're seven and zero. But yeah, they're really good. But there's always been a but to this, and it was a big but, right? It was always well, they're the Cardinals. They're not going to sustain it. And look what's happening. They're literally proving everybody right. So maybe it was a combination of they had a hangover from the Rams game. They were looking forward to this game in the holidays, and they were just overlooking, you know, a Lions team that really has nothing to lose at this point. They want to go out there and just be spoilers for everybody, you know. Number one, pick be damned, that type of thing. Um, can they play? They're biting kneecaps over there in Detroit. Yes, they are. Basically, basically, <laughs> um, you know, this team can play physical football, right? They have James Conner in the backfield. They can play smash mouth football if they want to, but that's the question: Do they want to? I mean, they were throwing three times from inside the five on Sunday in Detroit instead of letting, you know, the offensive line just bang it in with Connor, who's a pretty physical running back, right? He's downhill. He's kind of really, he's a hard-headed guy, and he doesn't stop. One thing I've noticed about him is that he, you always see his feet moving, right? And he's always trying to get the extra inch. And I think that that's, this is who he is. He's a Western Pennsylvania guy. He's just kind of, that, that, that work ethic's kind of ingrained in him. But they didn't give him the chance to do it in Detroit. And I think that that's more Cliff Kingsbury trying to, you know, make things happen. You know, the offensive line wasn't 100%, so he's trying to make things a little easier on them. And, he, th- you know, he does have the receivers to make these plays, but 
you know, they can play smash mouth football. They just sometimes choose not to. And I think when that happens, it's kind of head scratching watching this team. Find him on Twitter at Josh Weinfuss, also at ESPN.com. The latest Cardinals news is coming from our man Josh. Okay, a couple of veterans not in that locker room anymore. I think it has a big, big play into what happens in the latter parts of this season into the playoffs with no J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins. So you turn to your head coach. I'm asking you, Josh, who the heck is Cliff Kingsbury? We know he's a dreamboat. We know he lives in an awesome house. But what is his basic fundamentals of rubbing, you know, running a football team and losing veterans in the process? Uh, I don't think there's any job security issues going on in Arizona, but I just want to know. We've seen this you know, late, late season fade out of Kingsbury before. What is he to you as far as overall as a head coach? It's so... It's such an interesting question, right? So he obviously has the title of head coach, but he doesn't coach any of the defense. And we've seen him. Like, I was watching him again um, in Detroit. At one point, he was like 25 yards away from Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator when the defense on the field. Right? Vance is on, on the white boundary. He's calling the plays. He's, he's basically the head coach of the defense. And Cliff is just kind of all the way down the field, kind of back behind the yellow line, kind of blending with the players. And he looked like an assistant coach if you didn't know what he looked like or who he was. And to me, that's kind of telling, right? Like, shouldn't a head coach kind of be involved all the time? You know, I I think it's an interesting question to ask. And he doesn't really – I mean, they have a run game coordinator – who is Sean Cooler, the offensive line coach. So when you really kind of take a step back and you look at how this team's managed, you have someone running the defense, you have someone running the running game. So basically Cliff Kingsbury is in charge of the passing game and the quarterbacks. And obviously he calls the plays, but that's kind of his niche. That's what he does. So sure, he gives the speeches, he, you know, he handles the administrative stuff, but he's really kind of just one among many coaches who are in charge. Um, obviously the buck stops with him as a head coach, but in terms of, you know, it's, just, it's just such an, I've never seen this in an NFL organization where one coach, what the head coach isn't as involved in every aspect. I mean, isn't, I take that back. We have seen head coaches not be, you know, if they're an offensive-minded head coach, or not as involved in the defense. We saw a little with Bruce Arians, but at least Arians didn't like take a step back. Right, mm-hmm. he was always there next to his defense coordinators, calling the play or you know watching the plays happen, putting in you know giving his input. But he was right there. I've never seen a coach kind of walk that far away from from the defensive coordinator in the middle of the game. It's, it's, the whole thing's weird to me. But he has been a head coach before. He spent six years at Texas Tech. You know, he went 35 and 40, but he knows how to manage a locker room. He knows how to handle players. Um, he loves coaching in the NFL because it's all football all the time. He doesn't have to worry about grades or boosters or this and that. It's all, it's all football. And he appreciates grown men having this as their job. And they appreciate him because of that. He's very... Um, he keeps his meetings short. He's not a big rah-rah guy. He doesn't give he doesn't have mottos plastered all over the walls. He doesn't have T-shirts, all that stuff. He's just like, all right, guys, let's come in. Let's do our work. He, they spend a lot of time on the practice field. They do a lot of walkthroughs. He wants these guys to see it instead of just he wants he wants these guys to like act it out instead of just sitting in a, a classroom watching on film and saying, yeah, I got it. He wants to see if you got it. So you know he has his unique ways, but in terms of a management style, it's just it's it's, it's a unique approach, I guess, in some ways. But it's obviously not working down the stretch for for for, for this team. Winefuss, have you been invited to Cliff Kingsbury's palatial posh? Yeah, give me the pad? goods. Did you like sip some rosé? Yes. You and Cliff, come on, you know, Josh, have you done this? Deet? Like a good off-season thing, maybe a little debrief, anything like that? <laughs> 
I have not. I have oh. not. I do have a good friend here who's a realtor, and he sent me the, the listing for it. Oh, it what's yeah, that? It's like, what's that cost you? Like, what is it? A seven thousand square foot home in Paradise Valley? I see. Something. Yeah, something like that. It's not. It, it doesn't have a lot of land around it. It's, it's like four point something million dollars. Um, it's very contemporary, I guess you would call it, or modern, I guess. Yeah. Kind of a lot of whites, a lot of grays, a lot of slates. Um, not good for kids, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> you As a guy who has, what, two, two under four, right? As two under four, yeah. Yes. Uh, so, like, I, I, we can never live there. Like, they would demolish that place. Yeah, that's um, the only reason it was the kids, obviously. You know, like, that's oh, totally oh, your oh, vibe. Totally. <laughs> right, 100% my vibe. Um, you know, and uh, obviously we like having our fireplace out, up and running when it's 110 degrees outside. That makes the house a little more... <laughs> A little more toasty, um, but no, we have not been invited over. Um, it's it's the quintessential bachelor pad for somebody in his tax bracket. It's perfect for him. <laughs> All right. Question more in regards to the the uh, game itself. Well, one of the things that looking at kind of the matchup that we have, of course, this Colts defense has been on a mission of late. They're coming off, of course, that win over New England. And prior to that, they had a shutout of the Houston Texans. Um, the Cardinals defense has been really good against the pass. They are not so strong against the run. In terms of Uh-oh. how this Colts offense matches up with the Cardinals defense, is this a game in which they are – I mean, everyone is challenged against Jonathan Taylor, but how challenging will it be in particular just because of the tendencies that this Cardinals defense has had of late? Let's put it this way. If I'm Frank Reich, I call two plays the whole game, bubble screens – and run plays. I, that's it. That's it. And like the ratio is going to be like eight to two, like eight run plays per two bubble screens. If I am a team coming against, coming into this game against the Cardinals and I have a running back like a Jonathan Taylor, all I'm doing is running the ball, right? I look up the numbers. So Taylor's averaging four points or 5.62 yards per carry. And the Cardinals are giving up 4.56 yards per carry. I am just pounding them into submission if I'm if I'm if I'm the Colts, right? You have a guy who can go off for 200 yards, right? Yeah, and that, that's all. And the Cardinals have struggled against screens for like 10 years. That's among like four different coaches, and I don't know why, but that's just how it is. Um, and I, that's all I would run against these guys. And you can beat them. You could. Another big key, and this comes hand in hand with the running game, is if you can keep the offense off the field, your odds of winning go up exponentially and that's what the lions did they ate up eight minutes and 50 seconds with their opening drive so by the time the cardinals got on the field there's less than seven minutes on the clock in the first quarter right i mean that's kind of demoralizing right that can kind of take the the air out of the the, the sails of an offense that's so potent and so high powered so you know that's kind of what my game plan would be if it's if i'm the Colts, especially with a guy like like taylor josh if the cardinals win this game what would you expect they will have done well to win? Oh, that's so easy. Just stop the run. I mean, plug the run. I think if they plug the run, there's a very good chance they will win, win this game. Um, but I just I just don't see that happening, right? I mean, they looked great in week one against Derrick Henry. Henry held them to 58 yards. But they've had, what, 200-yard rushers, I think two or three 90-yard rushers, and like two, three, or four 80-yard rushers. Like, the run game, the, the run defense has been – their Achilles heel all season. And I don't see that. I just don't see that stopping overnight uh, on a short week, especially. So uh, let, let me ask you this then. What do the Cardinals do well 
as a team. Like if you're if someone asks you in a bar, how good are the Cardinals? You say this is what they do well. So what do they do well? Well, last seven games, not much. Um, but overall, I mean, this, this <laughs> passing game could. Here's the thing about this offense, right? When they get going, they're virtually unstoppable. It's it's it's, it's an up tempo offense, so they don't give a lot of a lot of time to rest, and they can create yards and points very quickly when they're clicking. But they got to get to that point. They've been very slow to get going recently, and I think that has a lot to do with their three and four record over the last seven. But once they get going, they can put up 14, 21 points in a quarter without blinking, and all of a sudden you're looking at it like, what just happened to this game? And they've done that. And I think that's a big key to this game. If they can put up points early, um, they're going to force the Colts to pass. So that's, I mean, your run defense actually doesn't have to do anything. If your offense can put up points and take control of this game in the first quarter, first quarter and a half, that's going to decide how the Colts have to approach it. And that could take Jonathan Taylor out of the equation completely. And and it's possible. We just, we just haven't seen it lately. Josh, it sounds easy. But what you're telling me and what I'm hearing is DeAndre Hopkins not in the lineup. That double team's got to go somewhere. Christian Kirk isn't as dangerous as he is, even though he had nine catches last week. And on the other side, Chandler, Chandler Jones isn't the same player without J.J. Watt there. Defensively speaking, what are these guys? Oh. <sighs> It's a good question. It's a great question. I mean, we saw Chandler Jones, and you you raise a great point, right? On both sides of the ball, DeAndre Hopkins, he was he primarily played as that isolated receiver on one side of the offense, mm-hmm. and that forced the coverage to carry over that way, and that left all those other guys, those three of the guys, to the the opposite side with one on one. Same thing on defense. Guys had uh, offensive linemen had to figure out: do we chip or double? Chandler Jones or or JJ Watt. But once Watt went out, that that decision now had to come down to: do we chip or block mm-hmm. um, Marcus Golden, who has 10 sacks this season. So this is a defense that will that will pressure you a ton, right? They will pin their ears back, and they will come, come, come. It is, it, it, it's kind of almost impressive to watch when you take a step back and, and kind of see the season as a whole because they are, they are creating pressure, or they are, are trying to create pressure I, just so often. It's almost exhausting to watch. Um, and the, but I think the biggest question is their secondary, and and the cornerbacks in particular. You have Byron Murphy, who's a third-year corner out of Washington. He's their you know CB one, if you will. But Robert Alford's out, their other guy, and they have Marco Wilson, who's a rookie out of Florida, so he's been picked on all year. So you know this is a team that could that can get to the quarterback. They can't stop the run very well, but when they force teams to pass. They have a deep secondary. Their safeties are very good, but it's the cornerbacks who are kind of the big issue. All right, Josh, as we're wrapping this up right now, give me the the places you miss most in each of these locations. I know you're living it up out there in Arizona, but the place <laughs> you miss most in Bloomington and the place you miss most in Indianapolis, and you can't wait to get back to when you return here for the Combine. God willing, we are back to having all yeah. of the festivities uh, here in a couple of months. That's a good question. So Bloomington, it would have to be next, obviously, and maybe late night at Kilroy's on Kirkwood for some oh, yeah. sticks and wings. They've revamped yeah. it. I got to give you a heads up. You got it's it's totally. They've completely renovated. It looks totally different. There's no birth canal anymore. If you're familiar with with Kilroy's on Kirkwood, yeah, yeah it's like it's like kind of bougie. Great. There's like bottle service at Kilroy's on Kirkwood. I have heard that. I'm not too thrilled. About, like, like for those who don't know and who are listening to this, the birth canal was a part of Killers and Kirkwood that connected two rooms of the bar, and it was literally probably like 
eight feet across, and you'd have thousands of kids trying to get through this area. It literally was like a birth canal, like a baby trying to come through. Wedging your way take, through. It would take like 20 minutes to go it like would. five feet. It was nuts. Josh, now, I, listen, I'm not I'm going to sit here and listen to this. Listen, you wake up, it's 70 degrees and sunny, okay, number one. Okay, I know you're not missing, missing the bars in Bloomington, okay? That's all I'm saying. You live in paradise, my friend. You're doing fine. Is it, I mean, he's not Cliff Kingsbury. It's Come on. It's 54 right now. Guys, it's 54 <laughs> degrees right now. I had to wear a sweatshirt this morning. Okay? <laughs> I'm no. so Lots bad for you. Lots of prayers. Here we go. Out here, okay? I love it, man. Hey, no, you, I, I, go ahead. No, I was, I was answering the other half of, of, of the question. And, you know, Indy is the real quick, very easy St. Elmo's. Yeah. There it is, real Good quick. Deal. He's probably going to go golf now, you know, once he writes his article for the day. He's just going to golf casually in December. <laughs> I love yeah, it. Probably. All right, follow him. He's easy to find on Twitter, at Josh Weinfuss. Also, you find him on ESPN.com. He covers the Cardinals. We're going to catch up with you this weekend. Can't wait for a great contest, but Josh, I tell you what, I'm a new fan. Not only are you a friend of Lara's, but you're a friend of the show, and I love the way you write about this football team. So find him online. Again, big thanks to Josh Weinfuss. Appreciate it, pal. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Now we bring in royalty, member of the Colts Ring of Honor and soon to be, yeah, I said it, Pro Football Hall of Fame. We're talking to Robert Mathis. I love having you on here because after big wins like New England, and I know a lot of faces have changed, but that head coach is still the same and that offensive coordinator is still the same. Robert, you're in association with WinBet who who brings you this podcast. I love that connection. I love the partnership you have, but I also love to see your face when the Colts are taking care of business at home against the evil empire, the Patriots. Oh, man. I, yeah, you know, I love it. You know, I I, I, I hate Belichick. I hate <laughs> Patriots. I hate the, the Patriot colors. I hate the, the smell of Boston. I, yeah. <laughs> Keep going, 98. Keep going. <laughs> I hate Foxborough. I, the, 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 I hate everything. I hate the coffee that they serve. Everything, man. Dunkin'? <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, awesome! It was awesome, huge victory for the Colts, and uh, it really put us in position to, to, to handle business in the uh, postseason. So I'm very excited and, and happy for what's next. Robert, this, this game coming up against Arizona, when, when you played and you saw a team that had, you know, they they lost a game. You're like, how the how the heck did they lose that? Like Arizona lost to Detroit. How did that change your approach looking at a team? at all when in your career or was it still like hey we know who they are yeah well i learned in this game this any given sunday things can happen uh and you should never take any team for granted especially when a team comes off a, a, a very uh, a disappointing loss so they're going to be hungry and they're going to uh want to prove that they're not a fluke so these are the type of games that's going to be hard fought and uh our guys we come on we, we right to sky high coming off a huge win so uh, our confidence is up there, so it's going to be a it's going to be a game to, to watch. Robert, I always love following along your Twitter feed while games are going on. You know, tough to do obviously during a Colts game. You're usually there at home, of course. I'll be on the sidelines, but last night I was watching uh, the Bears were playing, and uh, they put up the stat 
Robert Quinn, oldest NFL player with 15 sacks in a season since 2013. Below it, they put Robert Mathis, and Robert says, love seeing old man Quinn still letting them know he'd do this, but I won't let them forget that half in 2013. <laughs> How much are you kind of enjoying watching some of these defenses around the league? Getting, you know, to kind of weigh in on some of these guys, there are some young pass rushers that I know you're pretty high on, and then also guys like Robert Quinn who are holding it down. Um, you, are, you, if it's anything to do with body slamming quarterbacks, you know I love it. So uh, that particular year, Robert Quinn and I became friends, although we was in a heated uh, sack sack battle. And uh, I'm, I like, I love what he's doing. He's just just letting guys know that uh, it's just paying respects. He's an elder statesman, but he's still getting it done. Just like Von Miller, JJ uh, JJ uh, White, these type guys, they're still getting to the quarterbacks and teaching the younger guys. Just like when they were young guys, we uh, the White myself and uh, like Julius Peppers and guys like that had to teach them. So it's just watching. It's exciting just to watch the uh, the torch being passed. Yeah, you can find them out at the WinBet 10 at home games in Touchdown Town. Robert Mathis is brought to you by our friends at WinBet. Before we get into the promotion, I need to ask you, you're, you've been a leader in the locker room. You've been a leader of men in that in your Colts career. Um, with this final month of the season, things change, Robert. You know that better than most. As a leader, as a captain, what are you sharing with your guys this time of year about playing their best football? Uh, it's about who gets hot at the right time, and uh, who that in the 2006 season, it, it, it really showed that we started hot and we cooled off. But that, but when the postseason started, uh, we were right back uh, to being hot. And uh, also the year, the year before that was the Pittsburgh Steelers, mm-hmm. and uh, even just last year, Tampa Bay Bucks, they got hot at the right time and they were scorching, and they ran the table. So. It's not how you start the race, it's how you finish it. And uh, I know it's an old cliche, but it's but it's actually very true. Right. Absolutely true. Hey, man, you got a partnership with WinBet that's pretty fun. All fans have to do is go to winbet.com, bet $25 on any NFL game, and you have a chance to win some great giveaways, some great Colts memorabilia as part of, uh, as part of the giveaway as well. I mean, you have a chance to win a uh, signed football from Kenny Moore, from DeForest Buckner, from Jonathan Taylor. It doesn't matter. It's 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 it's. Oh, you know, that's the new thing about this, Robert, is everybody, including my aunt and uncle, are betting on football games this week. Now with this promotion, you got a chance to win some great prizes. Tell me about the WinBet partnership and how fun it is to you uh, to wager on NFL games. Oh, man, it's, it's, it's pretty spectacular, man. This is, this is new for me, and, uh, it, and it, it kind of gave me new life. Mm-hmm. You know, I know we've got one going uh, next year. We're trying, you know, trying to give away tickets, and uh, if they make a $25 NFL bet right. at WinBet in Indiana, and, I mean, there's a chance you can get, get club-level seats all year. Season so, tickets, right. It's, it's very, it's very man, this is exciting. And uh, just the, the mix and mingle with people. Uh, when you play football with outside of football and just just get to know new people here and there. Uh, it's just a fun time to be alive. It is, man. It is. After a great career, sit back and watch the others do what you do for a living and, and throw a little cabbage on it. That's fun. Win bet. Win bet the best spot for all your football action. Follow Robert Mathis. Go to winbet.com. And again, you might see him out of touchdown time before a Colts home game at the WinBet tent. Man, I love talking to you about football. I'm going to wrap it up with this. The Arizona Cardinals await. It's on the road. It's Christmas Day, a holiday. Every eye in America and the world will be on that game. How important it is for the Colts to continue their domination, but they are going up against the buzzsaw and Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. 
Oh, it's very important. Uh, just to let you, like, like you said, it is extremely important to get hot and stay hot at the right time. And, and the coach, they're, they're, they're putting it all together. So I wouldn't want to play us around <laughs> this time because, mm-hmm. you know, we got an offense uh, with the MVP caliber running back who I feel should be the MVP. Definitely the offensive player of the year. Also a defensive MVP candidate, Darius Leonard. For sure. Um, who I who I feel should be seriously uh, considered for that, but uh, all things considered, we're def- definitely are a very dangerous team this 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 point of the year. But easier said than done, and you gotta you gotta go out and, and make things happen. And uh, if you make it happen, we're gonna put some cabbage on it. Like you there we go, <laughs> there we go. Now we're talking. Robert Mathis brought to you by our friends at WinBet. Man, I got one more thing for you before you go. I need kind of a judgment on this thing. We need. We've got the jury. We just need a judge. So who's better than Robert Mathis? Our own Lara Overton. Robert. Uh, she doesn't like sweets. She doesn't <laughs> like pies. She doesn't like chocolate. No, she doesn't like oh, that. You don't like muffins. Exactly you don't like donuts. True. I that's don't like pretty donuts. much true. I really hate Robert, donuts. Give, As, uh, the passion that Robert feels for his dislike of the Patriots, that's how I feel about donuts. Okay, so it. so uh, Judge Mathis, oh. Judge Mathis, can we get a ruling on this? The woman won't eat sweets. Ooh, that's tough. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, well, well, I'll tell you what, has, has she tried has she tried Long's Bakery, a fresh batch of Long's Bakery uh, donuts? Well, coincidentally, Robert? Yeah, I offered her one today. He did. There are some in the break room right now, thanks to Cal no, Hamilton. No, it's yeah. a fire up Tuesday. No, yeah. No, they have to be fresh. Oh, you're saying like yeah, right out the like oven. you're going yeah. to Longs. Yeah. Like like yeah. I gotta stand in line on my way out to IMS. That's usually no, when we no. pick, pick No, you sit you sit in the car and somebody go bring they bring it fresh. Right, out the right. Oven. Hey Robert. If you, if you say you don't like that, then I don't know what to tell you. Hey, ninety eight segment coming. Right. Hey, hater challenge right there, Larry. <laughs> gotta go to Longs now. Nine, nine eight, be honest. How many could you put down if you're sitting in your pickup truck and they deliver it right to your window? The whole baker's dozen. Oh! <laughs> Eat them all up just like the quarterbacks. Sacks, yes, sir. Donuts. There yes, you sir. Go. I love it. Robert Mathis, we appreciate your time. He's brought to you by our friends at WinBet, just like this podcast is. I tell you what, can't wait to watch uh, what's going on with you and WinBet and future possible more than multiple home games. Hopefully, knocking on wood, the Colts have a good playoff run. Robert, we sure appreciate the time as always, man. Oh yeah! Oh man! I'm I'm always always happy to be here, man. Go Colts and go win bet. You heard it right there. Go Colts, go win bet for Robert Mathis, for JJ Stankovitz, and Lara Overton. A big thanks to Josh Winefuss for joining us. This is the Colts official podcast. We have got a hot football team, and we are steamrolling through the month of December, which will carry on into January. So follow us here at Lara Overton at JJ Stankovitz. I'm at Hey Gorman. We'll talk to you next week.